0: I'm Sasha Ryan, and this is Curiosity where WDET finds the answers to your questions about everything Detroit. Listener Cheryl Purnell sent us a question about busing in Detroit public schools around 1963. Were you a part of busing at that time? And I was, which was strange. <laughs> so what school were you going to?
1: Okay, I was going to Dawson Elementary School. We lived off of Chicago Boulevard, and the school for that district was actually Ruth Ruff Elementary.
0: Wolf Ruff? Ruth,
1: Ruth. (laughs) Ruth, I think it's R-U-T-H Ruff, R-U-F-F, Ruth Ruff.
0: Purnell says she was bused to Dawson for a few years, from about six years old until she was around 12. And yes, it was a kind of experiment, but Ruth Ruff and Dawson weren't the only or the biggest subjects. Joyce Baugh is a political science professor at Central Michigan University. She says the push for integration in Detroit schools started with a fragile coalition of African-American, labor, and liberal forces in the late 1940s. In
1: 1949, they were able to get um, two of their candidates elected to the uh, school board. And one of them was Dr. Remus Robinson, who was um, the first black elected official in the city.
0: Over the next decade, the district made some progress in increasing black teachers and support staff. But
1: the, the school board still really was dragging its feet, I guess, on the issue of segregation, especially on gerrymandering the attendance boundaries.
0: Attendance boundaries. The district drew lines around black and white neighborhoods and used those boundaries to create the feeder patterns students would follow from elementary school to middle school to high school. When the demographics of a neighborhood changed, the attendance boundaries changed as well. So schools and neighborhoods stayed segregated. Meanwhile, baby boomers were bursting out of the existing schools in the city. Overcrowding provided an opportunity for the district to make some progress on integration.
1: And this is the October 1960 plan. So they announced that they would bust these uh, 300 black students from overcrowded black schools in the Central District.
0: Black students from Brady and McCarroll Elementary Schools were sent to Guest, Monier, and Noble in northwest Detroit neighborhoods. They were not well-received. Unhappy parents formed the Northwest Parent Action Committee in response. They boycotted the schools, keeping more than 1,200 students out at its peak. Organizers packed a school board meeting with 2,000 parents.
1: The argument was that they were refusing to build any schools in the black areas of town so they could use them, the overcrowding of those schools as an excuse to force integration on the white schools.
0: Then-superintendent Samuel Brownell argued that children had been bused to these particular schools for years. What had changed was the race of the students. The Detroit school board didn't back down. After about a month, the boycott ended, but black parents weren't happy because students were segregated within the schools. In 1962, another chapter in Detroit's integration efforts began. An interracial parent group sued the school board, saying it had redrawn attendance boundaries to keep black students from attending McKenzie High School. The suit outlined a list of district practices the group said were blatantly discriminatory and designed to segregate. The parents dropped the suit in 1964 after a new pro integration school board was elected. School board became a Black Labor Unity School Board, mid-sixties. That's Dan Glodner. He's the archivist for the American Federation of Teachers at Wayne State University's Walter Ruther Library. coalition was developed. Everybody thought this was going to be the new school board that will make the huge changes needed. The board ran on a platform of building schools, creating equitable programs, and solving integration when for the first time, white children were a minority in Detroit schools. The board did present a proposal to integrate 11 of the city's 22 high schools, but not until the spring of 1970. The Michigan Legislature voted to repeal the plan, and then-Governor Milliken signed that repeal. The NAACP sued the governor, the state, and the school district in a case that showed how housing discrimination and school segregation were aligned. A federal court ruled in 1971 that in order to end school segregation, an integration plan would have to include five counties. As white people continued to leave the city, it would have to include the suburbs. The U.S. Supreme Court overturned that ruling, saying integration efforts should only be district-wide, only in Detroit. Justice Thurgood Marshall wrote a dissent. Under such a plan, white and Negro students will not go to school together. Instead, Negro children will continue to attend all Negro schools.
1: The very evil that Brown was aimed at will not be cured, but will be perpetuated.
0: Milliken v. Bradley, as the case is known, established that school districts could not have explicit policies that segregate students, but that when segregation was a result of where people chose to live, the district could not be held responsible. The Supreme Court rejected arguments that housing discrimination kept African-American families from choosing where they lived. This ruling would shape busing efforts across the country. So did that answer your question?
1: Oh, that was very informative. The street in which we lived in was predominantly a white neighborhood. I think all of the children were bused, but they went to the junior high in their area, and we went to the junior high that was in our area. And I always have wondered why we just didn't go to the same school that they were going to.
0: For more information about busing efforts in the early 1960s, visit WDET.org curious. There you can let us know what you're curious about in Detroit or the region. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ryan.
1: WDET's Curiosity is supported by Michigan Science Center. More at mi-sci.org.